The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's reading is Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. Actually, I have uh, changed the, the primary passage this morning. Um, and uh, I want to read... 1 Timothy 6 to you as well. Um, Matthew 6, we're going to be referring to it too, but I want to kind of expand upon it because the central text is going to be 1 Timothy 6. Uh, So listen to God's word from 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through, um, well, 3 through, excuse me, 6 through 10, 17 through 19. Hear God's word. But godliness with contentment is great wealth. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And in verses 17 and following, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of a life that is truly life. Pray with me. Our great God, we need your spirit to rain down this morning. For we are a room of addicts. We think money will provide us security. We think winning the lottery will bring us the real life. And we choose money over you every day. We do it in our hearts. And we do it in our lives. And so we need your spirit to break us free. We need your spirit to liberate us. God, I beg for your Spirit, this morning that I might be your mouthpiece. And I pray that you would do great work 
to break through our hard hearts and to show us Jesus, the one who is life, who is the way, who is the truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those who desire to be rich fall into a trap. I want you to look at this video for a second. What, what Paul is saying is that money is bait in a trap that looks so good, we go into the trap after the bait, and we take the bait, and the door slams behind us. Y'all see that? That is a possum in a trap. And that's pretty much what Paul is saying. That's what money does for you and for me. You see, that possum thought he was going to win the lottery. Money without any work. Food with no work. Look at that. Look at the wealth in that right there, right in front of me. He didn't even see the cage. He didn't even see the wires. He didn't see the door. All he saw was the food, and in he went, and bam. And for... A time period as he was eating, he probably didn't even know he was trapped until he turned around. And that's what Paul says money is like when it confronts our hearts. Uh, this morning, we all have pledge cards. We all have an announcement in the bulletin that says we are $165,000 uh, behind in giving. But that's not the point. Uh, you see, I love what Henry Nouwen said. He said, from the perspective of the gospel, fundraising is not a response to a crisis. So Richard, why are we talking about it in, these, in November, when every November we have a crisis? Well, maybe we'll preach again in January. That's probably what we should do. But the very reason that we're doing this pledge card is because we want our giving, our generosity to be regular, to be central, and to be intentional. Because, see, that's what God tells us to do. Here's the deal. The Bible teaches tithing. If we look at the Old Testament, I could build a strong case for, um, for us giving a tithe. Here are the principles in the Old Testament. Give 10% of your first fruits. In other words, don't wait until you spend what you want to on yourself and then look at your surplus and give a portion of that. But you look at the paycheck and you take 10% of that and you give. That is what a tithe is all about. Not your surplus, but your first fruits. But then you say, well, Richard, I mean, the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing. Well, you're right. But guess what? It's worse. Or maybe better. Because in the New Testament, what we see, as Michael preached last week, is this whole idea of the Macedonian believers giving out of their not just poverty, but extreme poverty. And then we see Zacchaeus, wealthy Zacchaeus, what did he give? 50%. And you didn't say Jesus, you didn't hear Jesus say, no, 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 just 10%, Zacchaeus. Don't, don't get radical. Don't be crazy. No, Zacchaeus said, I'm giving half of what I have, and I'm going to pay back anybody that I've taken advantage of four times over. Boy, don't you wish that you had been taken advantage of by Zacchaeus. <laughs> 
You see that, that passage in Corinthians. But church, you know the grace of God. That though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you through His poverty might become rich. See, that's the pattern. That, that is different than a one time every now and then when I feel guilty or convicted or I hear a good sermon, then I give a little money. No. You see, what we're after this morning is what the gospel promises. We want to take full advantage of what the gospel promises, and that is true liberation from whatever binds us and enslaves us. This morning, if we just focus on the $165,000, we have got that money in this room. But guess what? I could preach that. We could erase it. We can have $100,000 over that. We could end the year $100,000. Oh, look, look, we've done so great. But maybe what most have done is reached in their pocket, taken a little bit out, and reached through the barbs, reached through the cage, dropped it only to go back to the cage. And that is not what the Bible Teaches. It teaches liberation. Let's watch this possum when the door opens here. Let's see what that possum does. It takes him a little while. He doesn't believe freedom can really happen. An opossum. Yeah, this is literally teaching how to release a possum from a cage. There you go. In case you wondered. Now look at him. The door's open. He's going nowhere. He doesn't believe it. It's too good to be true. There you go. Ah, look at that. He's sniffing it. He smells freedom. He's gone. All right. <laughs> Dear friends, we want liberation from money. We want liberation from fear and living by fear. We want liberation from bondage that we had to this whole idea, this whole concept, this whole belief system that if we have money, then we are free. Money does not lead to freedom. Jesus leads to, leads to freedom. 2 Corinthians 9. So I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Do you, do you see what Paul's doing? He's not saying shame on you. He's saying I'm inviting you to blessing. I'm inviting you to the, to the beauty of, of, of freedom. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Great. I love that illustration Michael gave at the beginning of the sermon last week. Uh, the, the child giving and then taking back when he knew that, hey, he didn't do it cheerfully. And I don't really think that's what, uh, what's happening here. But, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Do you hear that? He's, he's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Dear friends, we need to be freed and liberated from this bondage to money and this idea that if we, the more we have, the more free and the more life that we'll have. But we've got to do some work to get there. So let's look at it. First of all, I want us to see that money has us all trapped. 
Money traps us all. Verses 16, uh, 6 through 10 are, are for those. Basically, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's talking to people who don't have money, but want money. And then in 17 through 19 of 1 Corinthians uh, 6, it says, Now for the rich, command the rich. And so it's both for those who love money and are looking to money to be their, their absolute identity and their, their savior to those that have money and are still looking to money to save them. So it's for all of us. But dear friends, how many people in here really think that they're rich? If we took a survey this morning, there are not many in the here who would admit, maybe here, because we're a little bit more, uh, I mean, we've read Kingdom Economy, you know, the King's Economy, you know, Michael Rhodes has taught us that we're all rich. Uh, but hey, there are very few rooms in which you say, who's rich in here, when a lot of hands go up. But look at us compared to the rest of the world. In India, the average wealth of an individual is $7,000. An individual, an, an adult, is $7,000. In Africa, it's $4,000. In America, it's $403,000. In Europe, it's $144,000. And let's just take like the median wealth of an American adult is 60,000. That means 50% make more than 60, 50% um, make less. So even if you take the median, we are overwhelmingly filthy rich compared to the rest of the world. And so it's trapped us all. How does money trap us? I think there are two ways that this passage points out. The first is this, money traps us in arrogance. Listen, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Money has a peculiar power to make you have a greater evaluation of yourself than is reality. Money has the power to make you arrogant. One of my favorite preachers of the 70s and 80s was Steve Brown. And Steve Brown had this famous quote that said, if you see a turtle on a fence post, you can be assured that he didn't get up there by himself. And what he was saying is so good here. Because that's exactly what the scriptures tell us. Listen to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, 5 and 7. Those who were full, those who were rich, have hired themselves out for bread. Wow. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Here's this economy of swing. The rich are now begging for bread um, or hired themselves out for bread and the poor now have the money. Well, how did that happen? The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Dear friends, so much of this is, is so obvious and yet money so deceives us that we think we got where we are because of our great intellect. And I'm not talking about people that have millions of dollars. I'm talking about you who just got out of college, you have your first job, and you're like, look at me. Look at my apartment downtown. Look at my brand new car. Look at, look at it. 
there's a, there's a different way that you're evaluating yourself. Look at what I can afford. I can go out. I can travel. And you think it's because of you, but guess what? If you were born in India, if you were born in Africa, I don't care how hard you worked, I don't care how determined you were, you are not going to be where you are. If you look at Memphis, those of us that are white, white people in Memphis own 99% of the business capital. 90, oh, it's actually over 99%. Unbelievable. So if you're born white, you have an incredibly greater, um, you have incredibly greater odds to make money than if you're African American or black. It's not because you've worked so hard. It is because you've worked so hard. But you're not, the, there are a lot of poor people that work really hard. It's because God has given you and put you in a, in, a, in, a, in a space to actually make that money. But once we experience success, something happens. We begin to think that we are something, and we begin to look down on those that don't have money. And unfortunately, dear friends, I've seen the church prop this whole paradigm up. In fact, I've seen many churches... To be honest with you, most churches that I'm aware of that prop up the wealthy and make them officers, primarily elders in the church. The church confuses business success with godliness. You must be, you must be godly because you're a Christian and you've made it in business. And one who is, has made it in business and is trapped by money that is their idol. That is what, that's their perception of themselves. I am something because I, I, I know everything because I know something. I, I'm good at this. I'm good at making money. So therefore, I must be good at running a church. I, I must be good at, at telling, giving people my advice and telling them how they are to do, how they're to live their life. You see the, and that is so backwards. <laughs> Wealth does not mean success or godliness in the church. Bernard of Clairvaux, a church father in like 300 or 400 A.D., this is what he said. This is no new problem. To see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. This is how Jesus put it in Matthew 19. Truly I tell you, it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Paul says in verse 16, Command those who were rich not to be arrogant. Dear friends, and I'm again, I'm going to... Again, I'm talking if you're just, you, you, you've got that trade school degree or you've got a job and you have money and you're up through the rich, you've got to hear me saying the worst thing you can do is to surround yourselves with people that make what you make. Because if everybody you know can afford Netflix, you're never going to think about is having Netflix financially the best thing for my neighbor. You hear me? 
I hadn't even gotten to a new car or a house. If, 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 I tell you, I learned this. One of my, um, he's a friend. Uh, my favorite seminary professor, Richard Pratt, told me he travels the world, spends a lot of time in uh, d- different countries all over the world. And, and he told me recently, or a couple years ago, that he doesn't go to movies anymore. And he said, I literally cannot go to a movie. I can't spend that 9 or $10 because I'm thinking about my friend in this other country who's having a struggle surviving. My friends, that's a different way to look at it. You see, he has gotten out of his context. He can afford to go to a lot of movies. But he forgoes it because he's not thinking about him. He's thinking about his neighbor. And that is what generosity is all about. Friends, the more wealth you have, the more people you need in your life who are not impressed by you and who are living differently and willing to stand up to you. That's the kind of community that we need, and that's what we see throughout the church. It's the poor among us. It's different people among us. There's disparity financially, socioeconomically among us because that, that's the gospel. The gospel saves the rich and the poor, but that's the kind of community that we need to be having. So money can make you arrogant. Secondly, money can distort your desires and cloud your reality. Listen to this. Those who desire, this Greek word, it's, a, it's an over-desiring. It's a, it's a hunger. It's like addiction. Those who desire to be rich, I've got to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Do you know what addiction is? Addiction is placing a a, a desire that you were created to have for God on something else. It's believing that this will save me. And addiction is highly deceptive. Think about this. Have you ever met an addict who confessed to being an addict before they went into treatment? Have you ever, you know, have you ever been able to convince an addict that drinking a case of beer was overdoing it? What do they say? Oh, that's nothing. You ought to see what Bill can drink. It's comparison. What has happened is they have built for themselves um, this whole um, tolerance to the amount that they can drink. It's called the tolerance effect. And it happens with money too. Again, we get out of college, we get our first job, we climb up the ladder, we're 10 years into the career, we're 20, 30 years, we're at the top, wherever it is, we create this tolerance effect. Our lifestyle can go up if we're not intentional and strategic. Our lifestyle goes up with our income as opposed to giving more, we spend more on us. And we are tolerant of it. Why? Because everybody else has a new car. Because everybody else goes out to dinner. Because everybody... Do you see it? It's the tolerance effect. We preach this to ourselves. This is our sermon when it comes to money. 
And yet, like a frog in a pot where the water is slowly getting warm, and, and at first it feels so good. That water feels so good. Kind of like a whirlpool. But before long, it's boiling and the frog is dying. You see, that's what money can do to us. We have to have more and more and more. We have to have that vacation just to feel normal. We have to have that new blouse. We have to have those new shoes just to feel human. We have to make that purchase. We can't deny ourselves just to feel alive. You know what you sound like? You sound like, and I sound like an addict. Because that is what we are. Luke put it this way. Luke 12, or Jesus put it this way in Luke 12. Watch out. Be on guard against all forms of greed. Do you realize that Jesus never says, Watch out for sexual temptation. He says, watch out for greed. Why? I'm telling you right now, and I've talked to many other pastors, I have literally, well, let me say it this way. I've had a number of people come to me and tell me that they were addicted to sex or pornography. 30 years of ministry, I've literally never had anybody come to me and said they're addicted to money or they're greedy. You see, money has a specific power to blind us to reality. And, and I'll be honest with you, that's why I believe the Scriptures teach a multi-class community inside the church. Because we need friends, we need people who all aren't driving the same kind of car that we are or may not even have a car. Because the Gospel moves us to think about our neighbor and not just ourselves with everything, even our money. So the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is highly deceptive. So how do we get out of it? How do we get out of it? I probably didn't even have to. Everybody, as soon as I said money, everybody felt guilty. That's why it's been so quiet in here, I'm assuming. I mean, you all feel horrible. I do too. I had to do this all week. <laughs> I mean, nobody, none of us in this room, I promise you, I don't care how disciplined, none of us in this room can get into heaven right this second with how we approach our money and our relationship with our money. There are no righteous among us, all right, ever, but especially with this whole concept of money. So here's the grace. I, how do we escape it? Number one, come into agreement that contentment is real wealth. That's like telling a bunch of alcoholics that sobriety is better than alcohol or heroin. Right. Yeah. Come on. I mean, that's how deep the devil has us in his snare and trap. We literally, most of us literally don't believe that being a cheerful giver could possibly be Better than being a millionaire, than winning the lottery. So we must come into agreement, like at the depths of our soul, we've got to become convinced that contentment with what we have is real wealth. 
This is what Paul says in verse 6 of 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is wealth. That's where real wealth is found. Listen to Paul in in Philippians 4. It's within our reach. Now that I am uh, speaking of being in need, for I... Excuse me. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I'm content... Man, I can't read that. Let me back up. I'm going to do this slowly. I I, I can do it. Not that I'm speaking of, uh, of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. That's really interesting. You're like, well, yeah, it's not hard to abound. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, I know how to be rich. I know how to have money and it not control me. I know how to have money and give it away. I know how to have money and it not be my identity and and, and the grounds upon which uh, I I determine how I feel about myself and define myself. He knows how to have little and how to have much. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, listen to this, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And listen to this, one of the most, I guarantee you, I I bet even, anyway, I'm not going to say that. I I guarantee you the overwhelming majority of us in this room had no idea that this next line had anything to do with money. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know the context of that? Did you hear the, the context is Jesus can liberate me from needing money. Jesus can liberate me to being a generous man or woman or child. Jesus has the power to take a room full of addicts addicted to money and wealth and the love of money and free us to the point where this church never has to even think about financial need again. And the world around us. Do you know the kind of power that a community of men and women who are free from the addiction to the love of money can do? You see, we are not putting this out there and expecting the rich among us to take care of our deficit. That is not the biblical teaching. The biblical teaching is every single believer should be giving sacrificially. That's not just in November and not just in December, but beginning January 1, maybe January 15th, is that when you're paid. Do you see it? We are free. We're free. We're not blown here or there by need. Oh, there's another need, another campaign, another, oh man, they've got to raise money for Claiborne. They, gotta, they want to have residents. They want to plant churches. My goodness. Do you see it? Freedom. But we've got to come into agreement that this is real wealth. To be content with what we have. To change what Christmas looks like. To change what... Do you see it? Secondly, you can be free through Christ. You can be free through Christ. For where your treasure is, Jesus said, your heart will be also. Dear friends, here's the deal. Everybody in here is funding something. If you have job and you have money, you're funding something. And what you are primarily funding is your God. 
It, it, oh, wow, that is huge insight. That's incredible. No, it's not. It's, it's basic. Everybody in here is tithing to something. You're already doing it. It's not, oh, i got to develop the habit of tithing. No, you don't. You need to change what you're tithing to. I need to develop the gift of generosity. No, you need to be generous to Christ and His people and His church. That We all give. We're generous. But most of us are generous to ourselves. And what Christ does for us is He frees us from the need to be generous to self to the, to the needs of our neighbors and to give and to have no control where that money is going. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be. And then he begins to go into this, what, what was read earlier. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. He starts going into anxiety. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father knows you need them, or he feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And we say, no, we don't believe he is, that we are. We don't believe he's going to take care of us. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. No, I'm not letting God dress me. <laughs> I don't trust his, his taste, you know. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? But that's, what the gent that's how they live. The Gentiles live. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, friends... We don't give because we're greedy. We give because we're full of fear. It's not greed. It's a lack of trust in God as our Father. You see, our functional trust... Here's what it means to be a Christian. It means to go from functionally, practically, pragmatically moving from whatever I'm trusting in before Christ to now trusting in Christ. It's moving functionally, like now I live my life really believing, not just that my sins are forgiven and I've got eternal security, but that I have a Father who loves me. He's adopted me. He chose me for the foundation. He saw me in His Son Jesus and said, I choose Him and I pay the adoption fee of my Son Jesus. And now He's mine, and I want Him to live trusting that I am His Father, literally. Not just spiritually, oh, I know you're my Father, that's why I pray every night. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. No, he, I'm going to live, I'm gonna, in every way, I'm going to live. If I'm single, I, it, I, you know, and, or I'm married, I'm putting my sex life under the Father. Because I know that He loves me, and He's infinite in wisdom, and... Do you see it? It's functionally living. That's why we give of the first fruits and not what's left over. We don't see how much we make. And then, no, we give, trusting that God, the one who gave us what we have today, is going to meet us again tomorrow. It's this active thing. I, I, I'm refusing to give illustrations of, oh, I tithed and then all this happened. No. I mean, I... 
God will meet you. He will, you will see moments where God really blesses you in your giving, no doubt. No doubt. Because that's the kind of God He is. But God will take care of you. And that's what you're afraid of. I'm afraid to write that check because I can't live on less. And God says, you can. Trust me. Trust me. Do you see it? It's not stinginess, but fear. And God the Father is the one that meets us. And then lastly, when Jesus is your wealth, this is what we have to believe to break this cycle. When Jesus is your wealth, you don't need as much and you can give more. All right, so here it is, verse 8. Now, this is within the context of no transportation system. Uh, we could go on. If we have food and clothing, with these, we will be content. Wow. Here's the principle. Is Paul saying if you buy a house, if you... No, he's not saying... Here's the principle. For the Christian who is not addicted to the love of money, for the Christian, as his um, income increases, there becomes a larger despair. Basically, he is able to give more because there is a growing disparity between um, how he lives and what he makes or she. Does that make sense? We will be content with this so that we can give. We will be content with this so that we can sacrificially bless our neighbor. So what do we need to do? Dear friends, we need to beg that God would come in and convince us that He really is a loving Father. That He is a good, good Father. We need to believe that He is the one who spoke and a thousand billion stars came into existence. He's the one that spoke and the money and the wealth of an entire universe came to be. And He still holds it in His hand. And there is He governs every single detail of it. Every hair on every head, every feather on every sparrow. That He is King. And King Jesus loves His people. And He loves His church. That is what we need to do. Oh, I need to become more disciplined. I need to, I need to go, you know, take a Larry Burkett or... Oh, I forgot the other guy's name. I can't believe it. There you go. Uh, and maybe we do. Maybe we do. But here's the problem with that. We do that, then we have this tight thing and everything, and then we think we've done it. No, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. We've got to repent and come to Jesus and say, it's not that I haven't written the check. It's that I don't live as God as if you're God. I believe that money's God. Money's going to insulate me. Money's going to take care of me. Money's going to protect me in my old age. Money's going to be the... I believe money, 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 money is what I need. And God. And God says, I don't play that way. I'm not second to anything. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Not for our destruction, but for our good. He's saying, fall into my arms. 
and you're going to get an embrace. Fall into me, trust me, and you're going to see that I am God. That's what God is doing this morning. Come to Jesus. Repent. He is for sinners like us. And there is great hope because He has wiped all our sins away. And we are free because His righteousness, He gave His life because He knew we never would. (laughs) He gave it all because we're so stingy and so unbelieving. But that's an invitation to come to the one who is real wealth. Would you do that this morning? Would you do that this morning? Would you come to Jesus? You may have been walking with Jesus for years. This may be your first opportunity. But come to Jesus. Trust Him functionally, practically, even maybe especially with your money. Amen. Pray with me. Our great God, we thank You that You're a glorious King. We thank you, King Jesus, that we can sleep at night. Lord, forgive me for my anxiety. Forgive me for my worry. Help me. Help me, help me. To believe you to be exactly what I just preached you to be. Oh God, I pray your spirit would move powerfully in this room, that you would break the chains, that you would break the bonds to money, to whatever else is binding us. Show us there's liberation. There is freedom in Christ Jesus. Oh God, convince us this morning. Convince all of us. And oh God, I pray that there's some in here that have never believed that, that you would give them that taste this morning. May they taste of life. Bring their dead bones dancing that they might know you and have life itself and walk with you, the very God of heaven and earth. Thank you, oh God, for how you bless this church. God, thank you for how you take care of us. We go forward not in fear. We go forward not trembling. We go forward in faith. We trust you. So, God, we give this body to you, and I give your people to you, and I do so in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to pray with someone again, I'm going to ask our prayer warriors to come forward and just be on hand. Um, I would love for you to fill out this pledge card. Um, if you're not ready, if you need to go home and think about it, I think the deadline is December 16th, so don't feel like you have to right now. Um, but we, the way you do it is you fill it out and you turn it in to the basket or leave it with somebody in the back. Uh, if you need help with this, reach out to one of our elders or me. Um, but more than anything, come to Jesus this morning. <laughs> I'll ask our elders to come forward. If there are those that need prayer, and others too, our prayer team to come forward on either side. Thank you.